It is the big finale, the season finale. It is, and as soon as we started recording, <laughs> I had to cough like a professional. <laughs> um, guys, this is a this is a big one. We got a big guest. We got a huge guest for the final one of this series, not series of this season. We I don't want to make it sound like we're ending the podcast of this of of this season. Big get British series, American season. Yeah. Big get, big get. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it We've is. We've been passing cinema- this person's agents for, yeah. for years. Yeah. Very hard Our- to get hold of. Yeah. For how long have we been doing this podcast? It'll be what, three years in March? Two years yeah, in March? Yeah. In the oh. end, we went around his agent and just went in the other room. <laughs> yeah. And I finally asked cinematographer, BAFTA Connects member, Tom Watts, also casually known as my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> This was a fun, it was fun having Tom on the show. Yeah, as uh, as uh, Joe said, uh, um, Tom finally got his right of reply after me talking about my <laughs> autistic and ADHD boyfriend for years. He finally got to set the record straight. I thought it was very, very it was it was very sweet seeing the two of you on the podcast. You know what I found uh, slightly interesting about that is. Uh, your wife Danica was there and she's never come and sat in on a recording and the day I have my own partner on the podcast Danica <laughs> just sat in the corner and I was like in my head I was like I think we need to get Danica on the podcast <laughs> she knows too much about me it was uh it would be too explosive if we had her on no it's fine because at the end of the day you can <laughs> oh, I the edit, edit. I? yeah yeah I can take all the <laughs> I could take out all the things that get me cancelled. That's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So we had Tom on and uh, we talked about navigating a neurotypical world. It's very hard. We, we, we This is before the revolution. We will look back on this and go, look what we had to do. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Tom is a cinematographer. That's a fancy word for filmmaker. And uh, we talk a lot about in our industry networking and those sorts of events. And uh, I was telling Joe before we started, I went back and listened to it to edit up the clips. And uh, spoiler alert, Tom has more clips than anyone else because he's my boyfriend. And, uh, <laughs> um, but sometimes I just think, when you're in when your job is also your passion you have so much trouble looking at all the success that you have and Mm. tom and i both have this thing where neither of us have children or want children so like our jobs are our babies and sometimes tom has to remind me that i am very successful at what i do and sometimes i have to remind him it's just i don't know it's we were talking before and we were talking about how in this entertainment industry it can be so easy to get down on yourself and focus on what you are unable to do as opposed to what you are able to do and have done and achieved Uh, i know laura lex does a thing where she has a list of things she wants to achieve and ticks them off i think that's that's something which i'm gonna start doing because i think you, you if I could see, and I'm sure Tom would be the same, if I could see the things I'm doing now, 10 years ago, I'd go, oh, that's really successful. But you always think, oh, but I'm not, there's always that extra thing I could be doing. Yeah, it's totally. And like, I'll never forget one time when I was deep into improv, don't do it, it's a pyramid scheme. (laughs) And I didn't make an improv team. And I was so sad about that. And I remember talking to another improviser who was very successful at improv and a successful actor. Her name is Rebecca Johnson. And she once said probably the wisest thing I've ever heard anyone say to me about entertainment, which is once you're finally good enough to get something, you'll already be over it. Mm, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but it's like once you're good enough to get like on to do five minutes on say like for for so for the sake of comedy once you're finally good enough to get like a short spot on a television show 
you're already going to be working towards getting a special out. Once you're already have a special out, you're going to be working on getting a bigger special out or getting a sitcom out or, you know what I mean? You're always, you're always working one step ahead of your own achievements. So I feel like sometimes the achievements don't feel real. Mm. We've had so many other people on this podcast where for us as comics, they're mu- we think they're much more successful than us and yeah. but they still don't like, they don't seem to, to view it that way. Yeah. Which is fascinating I w- to me. I wonder if it's also like just a neurodivergent thing of constantly thinking of how certain things are difficult for us again in a neurotypical world. And it's so easy to like focus on the hard part as opposed to like the good part, you know? Mm, and to feel like you're faking it, like to feel like, oh, I've got away with yeah. it. I mean, I'm trying to, my new association, I'm trying to not say that I've got away with it or like sort of to describe career achievements in that way or I've fallen into this work. It's like, no, I got, I achieved this thing. Yeah. I mean, I, you can cut this out, Joe, if this is too sappy, but my birthday's <laughs> in November. And whenever it's my birthday, I always kind of like reflect you know, have a Mm. bit of a reflection. And this year I was quite down on myself and I spent my birthday actually working at a comedy club. Uh, I did bath and I I was like, oh, I'm just doing this comedy club and I've done it before. And why don't I have this? And why aren't I working on this? And at the end of the day, it's like I was playing one of the biggest clubs in the country. And that was something Mm. that was so important to me. And not only that, we talked about this on the podcast. One of our neurodivergent listeners came to that show and Mm. made a point of like giving me a cupcake. Like I'm having fans arrive to shows. And it's like, why can't that be enough? Like, why can't that be the celebration? Like I'm from Greenville, Ohio. I live in central London and I I make my living telling jokes. Like, Mm. you know, we're very successful people. We're very successful. Rock stars. Celebrities, really. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so is Tom Watts. So, Yes. Should, should, should we get into should we get into it should we go for it let's jump in there he All is right, let's do it tom watts aka abaglar's boyfriend like hold for a second if you get low with chewing gum yeah and then try and pull it out <laughs> just no into the bowl and no then back into you. we're just like kind of there was a video I one I saw on social of like a dog that ate one and it just had it hanging out. It's... <laughs> <laughs> you, I, you live with Abigail, so you're the yeah, one who can find I, out. I want to say unequivocally, <laughs> that does not happen. That does not happen. Sort of half, would they play like, if you're a 90s kid, though, like a millennial, like I feel like you, you grow up having like, everyone's like, if you swallow gum, it stays in your stomach for seven years. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing you're told. It's, it's not true. Because your like, stomach might... acid can melt steel nails. Wow. <laughs> the other thing I found out recently it's not against the law to have the light in the car on but you'll die that was what if my you dad have the lights when you will all die the, 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 like in the back of the car if you put the light on to read not, not against the law and you can still we were always told as kids we weren't allowed to have it on because it meant that like the driver couldn't see out of the car it's more than uh, it's just annoying true. if you're driving and um I, uh, of course, I watched a TikTok where a guy was like, that's not true. You can still drive with it yeah. on. Well, I was told that, it, that other cars might see it as like a signal. So they might think you're flashing them out or something like that. It's all <laughs> lies. Our, our parents lied to us. On. What, does he, what does it mean? Yeah. So, Tom Watts, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you're welcome. And... What a treat to meet you finally. <laughs> I've seen you on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. Um, I love that when we put this up, I sent you an email. Like, the, we have, like, a, not a formal email, but, like, a, yeah, a proper email. Quite formal. Like, <laughs> yeah, I say I formal for, for comedians. And uh, and then your reply was just, I'm sat next to you. <laughs> May I have your availability for the uh, following day? because sometimes I'll ask you something, and you'll be like, oh, I can't do it now. So I'm like, all right, I'll just send him the email. So he has the... If you're not... Uh, 
if we skip saying this part, Tom is my partner. And uh, it's that Tom who you've heard me bitch about on the podcast, which we won't talk about because he doesn't actually this listen to This episode is essentially it. a right of reply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's setting the record straight. But sometimes you're like, I can't deal with it. Or you don't write anything down. So I was like, okay, I'll just put it in the email. And I'm not going to write you a special email. You get the email everyone gets. I feel so special now. You should. <laughs> you got on the podcast due to nepotism. Finally. <laughs> it's finally paying off. It's finally paying off. But you wanted to talk about um, navigating a neurotypical world as a neurodivergent person. Yeah, speaking of nepotism. Yeah! So, yeah, I work in, I work in film, and it is an industry that relies entirely on network and nepotism and but for quite a long time I did that like usual neurotypical neurodiverse thing of um, like hey everyone's playing this game and you, you, you kind of always watch it as like an audience watching a theatre production and you're watching these weird power struggles and this sort of game and you're like this is dumb I don't want to play it and it's like this is stupid I don't want to be involved and then at some point you're like why isn't my career progressing <laughs> while, while I'm actively rejecting the one thing I need to be doing to progress mm. my career. And so sort of, and like early on in my career, I was very focused on, um, you know, in, that, <laughs> in that, that autistic way. I was like filming, so I'm a director of photography, so that's cameras and lighting. So it's like, okay, I need to have, I need to perfect my skill set. So I need to get really good at lighting and really good at cameras. And then I got my skill set to a nice level. And I was like, what, where's the work? I'm technically competent and the work isn't there. And then you're seeing stuff being produced and you're like looking at it and you're like, this is, there's some technical mistakes in what I'm seeing. So why is this person getting work and I'm not? And then eventually like connecting the dots that it's like, oh, I'm missing something pretty big here. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, that person (laughs) went to the bar. Yeah, it's because I don't know the people or it's, that's not the focus. It's, I mean, it's an industry that is, you know, it's, it runs on nepotism. Like you work with people you like, you work with friends, you work with family. Do you think, I think we're getting very heavy very quickly, but um, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, For our lighthearted comedy <laughs> podcast. There, there's, uh, I've experienced very much the same thing. I don't understand if it feels in comedy, the higher up the chain you go, the more that is a thing as soon as you start talking about TV and radio. When it's just gigs, it's a bit different. When it's TV and radio, it's, it, there's more of that. For me, I feel like, for my own well-being, this is a belief that I feel I have to have, whether or not it's true, because otherwise I would go mad, um, as I have to believe that if I just make the work good and focusing on the work good, there will it will reach a point where the work is so good that people can't, deny it and it doesn't matter and the people notice if all of that work has to be seen by a few people and it overrides that is that how that feels to me like a helpful way of thinking i think think it's for an individual it's helpful it's not a good way to run society that was yeah that was my original mindset was that i just have to be so good i can't be ignored and it did it did open doors Mm. so that did start working out and i got headhunted by sony music and went in-house dap so you made videos for little mix yes how was that this uh, is a detour. I, I want to know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I probably was Lil Mix more than any other artist. Um, it's interesting. Jade uh, tried to steal him away from me. <laughs> Jade had a crush on me, and Jade and I have beef now. She doesn't even know it. Wow. Which one's Jade? I don't... Oh, she's a cute one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this isn't as one way as we thought it was. <laughs> Um, Should I be sat in the middle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll fight. So just very rapidly become uh, couples therapy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you worked with Little Mix. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because it's... I worked... So with music videos, I worked from like tiny little, like very up and coming to be polite artists who like, mm. maybe had like a £500 budget for a music video and then up to working with me, Little Mix. Um, and it is a bit different because you've got much more label involvement and man like there's just more people involved but working with them generally was quite easy because they're just very very professional with I mean, one exception <laughs> 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 yeah. um 
Yeah, it was generally really good because they are very, very slick. They're super media trained. They're really because we used to do like a lot of junkets with them and then some commercial stuff with them and music video stuff, and they're just they're so slick. But it was um, even before Jesse left, there was a bit of friction, and I think. I love back. how diplomatic you're. I'm not being sure if I know this. the full backstory of Little Mix. Jessie is the one. She had the She's documentary. Left. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think she she got treated badly by the the trolls. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. it could it could be quite difficult working with Jessie, but I was also very aware that why she was difficult to work with. Mm. In that, like, it was, you know, there was obviously it's someone who has been damaged and hurt from being on a weird pedestal from a very young age. Because they work with artists that big, they're sort of... The artists at music labels have put on these pedestals and everyone around them is just like, yes, whatever you want. So it's... In a weird way, Little Mix are more grounded than other people I've worked with. Right. Because there's there's no one to tell anyone no. Okay. Yeah, that must be such a weird experience. I mean, we know some... We all know some famous people. Mm. And it's just like, it's not like a, a... other sort of like um, difficult experiences there's like a support group or whatever like and there's but it just must be so weird to like yeah we know comics that you know people will shout at them on the streets if you've never met them that's just what a weird experience that must be yeah yeah it's and it's a hard thing to like complain about because you have it all yeah but then someone's mean to you and it like or like in the case with like internet trolls like thousands of people are mean to you, but mm. also you're filling stadiums. So it's like you have nothing to complain about, but you're like, but it's just really weird to have strangers yell at me. Yeah, it must be quite a precarious life as well, being that sort of pop star, where it could all fall away, couldn't it? And it is. It's an insane bubble. Yeah. Like it's really crazy. Like it's being kind of in the middle of it and seeing it, it's just. A life that's so separated from reality, like it's such like a bubble within a bubble mm. within a bubble, but uh, more inc- more inclusive in terms of the way things are done for you. Uh, how do you mean? You, you were saying that that was easy in terms of like you didn't have to network in the same way for those gigs. Yeah. So when I was in house at, at Sony, that was there's an in house production team. Oh, I see. So you're employed by you're not freelancing that. It's kind of permalance. Okay. So it's like long term freelance contracts. Okay. Then you don't need to worry about workers' rights. <laughs> <laughs> Still be exploited. Yeah. Um, I mean, saying that Little Mix are exploiting workers. No, no they... but Sony is. So we, Sony is. Inside Sony Music, there's a production... Uh, there's an entire advertising agency called Full Floor, so I worked for them. Right. So you're... Yeah, you just... You kind of serve all the... There's, Sony Music has about... I think it's about 14 labels. There's a couple of big ones, and you're just kind of doing lots of music videos and stuff. Cool. But that was... That we were part of the team, and then the labels come to us and say, "We need these done." So, yeah, there was no need for any networking because once you're, you're in, you're in. You've yeah, got yeah. the in-house team, and you just you're constantly working. And then, I had a bit of a, a weird career trajectory because I didn't start until I was thirty. I didn't even really know what DOP was until I was thirty. And then, I still don't know, so don't don't so feel bad about that. <laughs> director of photography, which right. is this. Explain. Same as a cinematographer. No, okay. no, no, but explain what that means, because you said that to me for about six months before I was like, what exactly do you do? So on a set, you've got the director who's kind of like the overall vision, hmm. and it's sort of the, kind of the, the curator for everything involved. Okay. Um, and then the DOP is your everything to do with camera and lighting, so you're sort of kind of painting the picture so the director would be like I want a music video that looks like XYZ and you go okay this is how we do that and then oh, you okay. do that so they might say we want the sort of soft colours yeah. and then you go but probably more sophisticated than what I've just said that would be I mean, sort of language it's whatever it is okay and then also you're, so you're the head of the camera department as well so then the camera department answers to you and then the lighting department and grip department also answer to you grip department so that's uh, anything that moves the camera so like okay. tracks and dollies and stuff like that um, whenever I'm on set now, Tom, the way you've explained how a set works um, has really endeared me to the crew because Tom explained it to me as um, the director um, is in charge of the overall vision. The cinematographer helps them realize that vision. The director um, manages the talent. 
the cinematographer manages the crew, the crew makes the film, and the talent ruins the shoot. And, <laughs> and I've told people that. I've literally told crew that, and they're like, you understand. <laughs> it's because like, you always, if you're a crew, you get called so early as well, so like... I don't know, say you're shooting at 12 in the afternoon, you might be called at like 6 in the morning. Oh my so God, then that the, sounds horrible. Because yeah. it, it, it takes a long time to set stuff up as well. So then like, you get talent that turns up at half 11, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you have to be here so early. And you're like, that must be very <laughs> oh, hard for you. That. <laughs> That's one of my favourite, you know the mother and baby gigs, you do those, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favourite jokes to do at those is to complain about what time I've had to get up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> they're at like 11 or something like that, and I go, there's a room full of like new mothers like who've been up all night and uh, I find that very funny. I'm sure that when I have a child I find it less funny. <laughs> <laughs> um and also a thing that I've noticed is like as talent when you're on a set of a of a certain budget, like I've been sent a car, so I have to be on at eleven and so they'll pick you up at ten and then you sit in hair and makeup. Tom has to be there at five, and they don't send a car, so he has to drag himself and whatever kit he might need to bring from home all the way to whatever studio he's doing at five in the morning. Where's talent? It's like we get picked up, we get coffee brought to us. But we are stars. We are stars. <laughs> we're just we're just more replaceable, so we don't have to be treated as well. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> How do you find that? One of the things I find a balance is, is like, how much do I... Because I recognise there are loads of things in in the creative industries which are all about networking and which aren't accessible. And I find, how much do I balance um, going, no, fuck you, I'm going to... This is how I work, actually, so I'm not going to go to this industry event because it's noisy and stressful. Um, I'm just going to do this. With trying to sort of... Um, uh, trying to I guess I guess but the question I'm asking is how much how much is it is it healthy to mask in order to get ahead in the industry oh um, good question you'll miss opportunities 100% because mm. um, that's that's when that's those networking events are where the relationships are built and it's the reality is it's about the relationships it's not about the work because if I mean speaking from my own industry there's like a level of competence as a DOP that you kind of reach and you can you can shoot things competently and then there's sort of personal styles and tastes and like you know if you're exceptional in one area or the other that there's so many people that meet that kind of competent level that then right the only differentiation is the relationship so sort of like if you're i mean i, I really struggle with networking events as well but if you're say you've got someone who's completely fine with that with networking events and you're not so like you both go to one networking event and then you burn out and miss the next one. Then they go to the next one and meet someone else. And then you're still burnt out. Then they go to the next one and meet someone else. And then you both go to one. And then they go to another. So, like, you're kind of... Oh, so every event you miss, yeah, you're, you're falling I, further, I, 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 further and further and further behind. I, like, I, yeah. I, uh, go on. Yeah, I just want to jump in and, and say that, like, I, I agree, but I also slightly disagree. Like, when I think of, like, stand-up comedy networking events, I'm specifically thinking about how... Uh, it was put to me like when you go to the Edinburgh Fringe, you need to go to the bars to meet people and network. Oh God, I'm so and, frustrated. Well, about this. <laughs> yeah, here's here's the thing. Like, I think not all like networking events are created equally, and um, and you can skip them. Like, so again, going back to like Edinburgh, I don't want to brag, but I have spent a lot of time in artist bars at fringes a lot of time some would say too much time uh some might say uh to the detriment of my uh performance i've spent too much time <laughs> in uh artist bars and if people are out to 4 a.m business is not being had like people are getting too hammered to remember oh, i've seen you know what i mean you, like i remember seeing a brooks bar to <laughs> two people who worked for an agency i won't say which one but we can all guess which one it was and i think they'd um they'd done some alcohol up their nose and <laughs> <laughs> they'd, they'd uh let's say that and they were playing darts against each other like, so with a dart, throwing... The game was 3-2-1, like a duel, throwing darts at each other. And one got a dart in their leg. 
And I thought at this point, I don't think I'm going to get a TV deal tonight. No. <laughs> but that's. But that, like. Yeah. I, I think you're missing the point, though, because it's not that you're not expecting business to be done there. You're building relationships. Mm. So that's the point. It's not you're going to a networking event to be like, hi, I'm whoever, you're a producer, can I have a thing? You're going there, getting smashed together. Having and a then shared the experience. Next meeting, you go. I threw a dart in your leg. Yeah, hey. that's the point. It's it's you're building bonds. Like you're not. If you go in with a business mindset, people don't want to. If you just right, like, yeah. It's about relationship building, and that's the point. Is like you have to go and build these relationships, and like that's what the networking is. And then it's you're essentially looking to build your social currency. Yeah. So the more people you know, the more important people you know, and the more people that are familiar with the more social hierarchy you've just gained. I want to, because I work things that. out like you, where I'll go, like, that's like such an autistic way of looking at things, isn't it? And I've done the same thing. Like, but do they know that they're doing that? Do, 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 do the typicals know? Yeah, they, know but like, those people in that bar, do they, do they uh, how much, like, for us, I yeah, think the conscious know. thing of like, oh, we should talk about, like, you know, oh, we used to go to, the, we used to, um, go to the same gigs in this town or whatever like yeah. uh, and we're socially bonding and we're thinking in our heads oh this is a good in because they're uh, like but how much of that is conscious for I don't know I think it's it's just different because it's that's more of a natural neurotypical way of approaching and mm. they know and they know they know the importance of social hierarchies and yeah. like, you know like oh, I want to talk to this person because they're XYZ but it's they're not I don't think they're trying to break it down <laughs> into like logical no. steps in the way that we are it's just I think that's why it's difficult if you're neurodiverse because it's quite an unnatural way of approaching something because it's you kind of look at the steps and you're like this just feels a bit manipulative or like this feels there feels something slightly sticky about this mm. trying to I really like the fact that we're talking about neurotypical people as if they're a different species altogether <laughs> we're like do the they show. know <laughs> do they understand what they're doing. I still stand by that all networking events, like in any career. I don't know. Maybe I just want to make sure that we don't overwhelm our listeners. I really do think all networking events are not created equally. And you can, like, like if you're going to them to the point of burnout, you're not going to achieve anything anyway so you might as well pick and choose. Well, it's like where, where is it and who's there? Yeah. And that's your kind of gaining social clout by proximity mm-hmm. so so for example so I got I joined BAFTA recently mm-hmm. and since I've joined BAFTA it's been much easier to get meetings because I can hold meetings at the BAFTA member bar and also other BAFTA members suddenly I've become very safe to talk to and right meet. so like it's become much easier to meet people and network now that I've got that extra bit of, like, kind of affirmation. It's not taking a risk in the same way for people yeah, with, with some sort of outsider, it's, yeah. It's just total risk mitigation. Like, if someone's... Someone doesn't want to engage with someone that might be a risk to them or their own network. And also, mm. people generally aren't looking to network with people who are lower down the ladder than them. Mm-hmm. So everyone's yeah. looking up. Yeah, so yeah. it's sort of your peer group and above. So you kind of have to get up to the level of someone else through whatever means, you know, through you've done loads of good work, you've done this, ex- you know, it's, it yeah. has been doing lots of work for Little Mix has been useful because that's, they're a famous band. So then regardless of how good my work is, it's seen as better because there's fame attached to it. Mm. So that your work, you know, if you do, if you do two videos that are exactly the same, one has 10 views, one has 10 million views. People are going to think that one with 10 million views is more important and better. And it never is. <laughs> it never is. It's always the one that, that doesn't get the most views that you're like, that's the good one. Sorry, guys. I'm reposting <laughs> My most on viewed social... video on TikTok is the hackest joke I think I've ever told in my life. I... And... Uh... But yeah, I, millions of views. Yeah, <laughs> my most viewed video on TikTok is a story about bumming Tom, which never happened. <laughs> I made it up. I made it up. Uh, you didn't make it up. You lost the bet. I well, the bet is real, <laughs> but the ending of the joke is made up. I then, it's, oh it's, yeah. Uh, Someone uh, had to have a drink at Christmas. Yeah. They made eggnog just for me. It would be rude not to have it. <laughs> what is eggnog? I need to. 
eggnog is like a um, custard drink, so it does have an actual oh. egg in it. So um, uh, that is then often mixed with booze, and in what this, what do you mean by booze? Uh, like bourbon or whiskey or oh, so the eggnog itself is an alcoholic. Not usually, oh, no. Okay. You could buy it. Kind uh, of like runny custard. Yeah, it's like a runny custard that you drink. I I think it's delicious. And then um, oh, now you said runny custard, it sounds yeah. yeah. In the it's uh, the name eggnog sounds disgusting, yeah. but it's in, actually quite nice. In the states, like around Christmas time, it's in the refrigerated section with the milk, and you guys like don't sell it here at all like it doesn't exist and i've tried to look up ways to make it but the only recipes i can find are like for parties like punch bowls <laughs> and that seems a bit <laughs> excessive honey i mean maybe but like yeah i guess i could make like probably a quart or something but yeah it always just i've looked at them and i've been like that's that seems like a lot uh but yeah that's what eggnog is it's a, it's like a a custard, yeah. I've taken us away from networking. It's cold. But, uh... <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I... I... I always feel that there's a big difference between what my advice would be to an individual neurodivergent person to what my advice would be for what I want to change in society. Uh... And I think that it can seem contradictory to say, well, I think networking events are shouldn't matter and shouldn't be important and and you know and I want to change things so that they don't matter but also for an individual and for myself to go well actually if I did go to that thing it, I, it might help me a little bit mm-hmm. um even for me I, I think because I, I hate them so much I just don't go and I, I think it, it's to some extent in comedy it's slightly easier to to sort of put your own stuff out there on the internet and then to build, you know, a live tour and stuff like that from that, which I don't know if you'd be able to do that in quite the same way. It is different, because film, film is, it's, you need a thousands of, of pounds. You need money, you need, you need people. I'm always, I never understand, I saw a thing of like, lowest budget box office, and obviously the one that is like the big one people talk about is Blair Witch, mm. but that's still like 200 grand. Yeah. What were they spending that on? Because that's just, I thought, I assumed that was just people. Insurance? Went, yeah, I mean, crew. Crew gets expensive. But when they film it themselves? Kits. Because um, it was all filmed on handicaps. This was like, I don't know what they, if they had any adver- advertising costs into that, like oh, post-production okay, so costs. Yeah, and, well. Yeah, budgets do, and like, once you get like traveling hotels and sunny boat, um, budgets start disappearing. But I think, like, when you're previous point on network, I think there's a middle ground. I've been trying oh, to, definitely, yeah. You've got, you've got to, you've got to I've been trying to like, kind of explore it recently and like building networks in a way that I engage with them. So sort of, I feel like there's two approaches to networking, and there's the the sort of the typical form, which is you're basically you're looking for job titles. So as a DOP, it's like I need to meet directors and producers. So you go to a networking event, and you're like, who are the directors and producers? And I hate that. Like, I just hate everything about it. It's just it just feels really mercenary to me, and I don't like it. Whereas I'm much more interested in meeting people that I click with, getting to know them, getting on with them. And even if it's not specifically kind of people that are useful to my career, it's other interesting creative people and kind of building networks around that. And that's where I'm having more success because then you start kind of creating your own networks of slightly odd individuals <laughs> which in a way that works for everyone who are more interested in that kind of like relationship first on whatever level and then you just kind of meet people you want to work with and you figure stuff out so I'm kind of working on something with so someone I met at a networking event last year at Cinegirl one and she does um, she's called Aura she does um, marketing for a studio VR studio and we've been trying to like figure out this networking thing together and this kind of separate approach. So like we have nothing um, uh, career-wise in common. Like there's no real way that we work together career-wise, but both kind of trying to approach this problem of networking from a neurodivergent perspective. In that, how do we create a space that works for us? And I think yeah, it's sort of the kind of middle ground is you kind of like leave that other type of networking to people that like that make your own type of networking and group and gather other people because all the people I'm looking to network with also hate networking so if you can create like an environmental space that works for people like that 
then you're sort of making your own space. Yeah, you're right, because I say I hate networking, but I like talking to other comics and other creative yeah. people. And there's some producers I've worked with who I've, like, I really like their sort of creative ideas and, and you know, who I've really got on with. So it's, it's, when, it, it's when it becomes... It's making networking... Uh, there's difference between networking sort of making friends and creating stuff together. Well, in, when you think about it, that middle ground of, like, instead of going out and networking in this, like, shiny, kind of, like, fake way that we're mm. talking about, that, like, glad-handing at bars and not talking about it but knowing why we're all there, versus making a community. When you think about, like, works of uh, art or entertainment that are made by a collective, that's some of the best stuff, like the Steppenwolf Theatre Company out of Chicago or um, the New Zealand lads who all made great comedy, you know. Uh, uh, I came up through Brighton uh, when I was starting, and that was Romesh, Zoe Lyons, Sean McLaughlin, Sean Walsh. Yeah. All came through that. And, yeah, it wasn't... They weren't holding networking events, but they were all just sort of mates that were doing gigs. And yeah. Was, um, yeah, you're right. So you look, because you were, like, the Young Artist Movement... Is that kind of thing? Yeah, and yeah. Then, you know, what kind of I found really inspirational. Were like, they all friends? Was in like the young British artists you mean? Yeah, were they? I think they were all friends, weren't they? I can't imagine. They all just seemed like they'd be a nightmare. I think what was together. Oh my god! I think they're all, like they're Tracy also really and good Chris salespeople. And like they're Damien really good, that lot, yeah. right? Who 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 are these people? They were like there was a period in the nineties where like it's the sort of thing that like your dad would go. That's not proper art. Okay. It's all that sort of... But it was quite shocking, and, like, some of it was really cool. But all the people that made it were strong personalities. I think uh, they were just very... They were they're very good salespeople and very good at marketing. Hmm. And that's... You, but I think it's any time you get... So I think, for me, I sort of... I was watching, we were watching Hamilton, and then the musical, which is very good. But there's a scene where they're, they're all in the bar together and they're having a bit of a sing-song, and then they're like, hey, let's make America. And I was like, that's kind of how it is. <laughs> So you just if you just get a collection of interesting creative people together, mm. interesting things starts happening. So I think it's like it's kind of like the solution to like networking as a neurodivergent people is it's like trying to gather other and it, you know it doesn't have to be it's like setting aside job titles and looking for people. And it's mm. like rather than me like I'm just looking for directors or producers, like, I don't really care. Let's just get a bunch of people together and something interesting will happen. So is that how you? This is a seg, it's a beautiful segue. Watch this. So you have a, a new film out out soon. Um, got three out at the moment. He's talking about Misery Loves Company. Four out at the moment. Did that come from that? So. Misery Loves Company is that idea of people coming together. It's not out yet because no, and you've called in favor. So as much as you say you don't like networking, tell him tell him about how you made. <laughs> Misery Loves Company, and who's doing the sound, and how'd you get that going? What is Misery Loves Company? <laughs> There's such proud mum energy coming. Yeah. So this is like, like just tell just... him what I... <laughs> Got I, know, I feel like this needs context first. <laughs> so I write for a cinematography magazine called Cine Girl. Um, I, in the last issue, I wrote... I'm basically going through the industry, department by department, dissecting it, and trying to create a map of how to navigate the industry. So okay. I did one about directors and how to how to be a director. So I interviewed a bunch of directors, I interviewed a bunch of director agents, and then... What was the actual title of the of the article called? How to be a director and other entry-level jobs. <laughs> That's so like... <laughs> I'm trying to endear myself to directors. <laughs> it is um, for a specific, like, filmmaking magazine. I just don't understand why I'm struggling to network with directors. <laughs> So, yeah, but I kind of... So I've got my next article, which I'm supposed to be writing at the moment. Um, I kind of want to take a gonzo approach and just, like, what happens if I just take all this advice and do it? And I had a bit of an itch to to write and direct my own film anyway. So I was like, how hard can it be? So I wrote a short film, five-minute short film. And then, yeah, just kind of pulled in all the favours I had. So I I wrote it. I found a, the producer that worked on it actually met at a networking event. We got, but then <laughs> we just got drunk together one night. And got on really well, and she was really keen for it. And then at a, an agent event with um, with Luke Talent, so we had like a night with them. I met um, a costume designer called Cecile, and that was very much like 
We both hate networking events. We found a corner and got drunk. <laughs> and that was the evening, but we got on really well. So I, I messaged her and I was like, I've got this short idea, here's the script. And she was like, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll get involved in that. Um, I was like, great. And then I checked out her work and realised that uh, I was out of my depth and we needed to escalate the whole thing because she's done like Maleficent and Bridgerton and Star Wars. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, like, so we, I had this idea for this great big sort of silk ball gown dress and she hand stitched it all like her work is incredible and she there's some flowers from Maleficent in there that she borrowed that's so cool isn't it but it's not out yet no I so I was hoping to get it finished by now um will it be out by now when this when people are listening uh so Tom I probably think probably beginning this... of January so when... probably not are we not unless we push this one back we can do if you want well, it was, it was like an off-pod conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was supposed to be finished by now, but um, other favors like Verve gave me a bunch of camera kit for three. I was just basically pulled in all the favors I could from the over the years and like did some bartering to get a manor house to shoot in. So we had some work experience kids on set. And then um, I needed... I basically... It's finished except for the grade, which is where you, you, know, you polish it all and make it look nice, and the sound design. So I sent the director at Warner Brothers post-production studio house an email and I was like hey do you want to do sound for it and he emailed straight back and was like yep like the film let's do it That's so, so cool. they've just won the Oscar for Top Gun <laughs> wow um, and yeah he was really into it uh, which is amazing so he was just really, I was just kind of you know this is you know it's a really diverse film it's neurodiverse you know everything I care about is basically this is why I did this film and this is what's involved and he's like cool it's but, LGBTQI plus it's neurodivergent yeah. fun it's and it's your first writing. You've, first you time wrote writing, direct- first time directing. Yeah. So I wrote, directed, DP, production design, edited, and that was too much. <laughs> <laughs> that was too much by far. Yeah. yeah, it was. So, but to fit it in, we've got to push it back till December or January for them to do it. But, you know, for Warner Brothers to do post production on it, I'm like, that's okay. We can that's wait. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, He's, yeah. He spent so much time on, like, when you think about a five-minute film... It is a time vampire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, in when you watch something like that, I feel like you never really realize how much time goes into that sort of thing. Um, and just the editing alone, he was, like, weeks and weeks. He was just at his computer, and he's like, I think I'm making it worse. <laughs> and then, like, uh, like another week would pass. He's like, I think I finally figured it out. And, like, it's even like- just the editing alone, not even... Not even everything else is just like so. It was like a day at in Shepherd's Bush, going through all of the, like the material places, finding the specific kind of silks that I wanted to make the dress out of, and like it's one of these things. Like I've been a DP for like eight years now, and like I work really closely with directors all the time, and it's like I understand what a director does. And then I did this, and I was like, oh, okay, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> like, it's actually, like, it's just, it's really interesting having... Do you feel like there's karma for writing that article? <laughs> <laughs> like, in a completely self-inflicted... <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, I mean, you don't, you don't really know someone else's experience until you've lived it as well. And, like, mm. you know, as neurodivergent people, you're probably very familiar with, like, cognitive empathy and having to use that a lot. But there's only so far that can take you. So it was really interesting stepping into that role and being like this is all the extra stuff I wasn't really appreciating from my perspective as a DOP that was de- it would definitely change my approach to film as well mm. after having to edit the stuff that I shot as well That's... <laughs> <laughs> I apologise to editors I've worked with in the past <laughs> <laughs> I just remember this <laughs> I went to this industry event and I um, for the first hour and a half there was one person I knew first hour and a half I spoke to uh, one of the waiters there who was like a uh, sort of, um, uh, well, a comedian with with a with a day job. Uh, so I spent most of this networking event talking to a comedian who I could have just rung up on another night. <laughs> and uh, I've talked about this in my latest Fringe show, so apologies if people have seen this. But they were, and then I was talking to those like four people. They're all into, but I find like they're all into like sort of particularly like American like comedy dramas, not Netflix and Hulu stuff that I don't really watch. And they asked me what I've been watching. And uh, I didn't know what to say because the truth was that we'd just been re-watching the entirety of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air <laughs> uh, for like the past three or four weeks because it got up on iPlayer. Like, what have you been watching recently? And I thought, I can't say that. They're talking about all these comedy dramas that are really thought-provoking and clever. 
and I've been watching the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which is great. Also, I would argue thought provoking yeah, and hilarious. Yeah. Ahead of its time. Great, great cast, great uh, uh, would, cameos. I and should stuff have argued my case. Gone back. It's got yeah. the Queen Latifah's in it. Yeah, Queen Latifah. Ben, Tyra Banks is in it. Yeah, Ben Vereen plays the dad. Do you remember the dad who ben. shows up? And oh, then, I do yeah. remember. Yeah, the, but the horrible. He's dad. a big Broadway guy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, was the Fresh Prince a better like? Really good at kind of sliding in social issues in quite. Um, I think it's one of those things where probably shot. Like what <laughs> was ahead of its time, but if you look at it back, does Carlton get shot? I don't remember this. Yeah, or no, no. Will Smith gets shot while Carlton and him are getting held up, and then Carlton buys a gun, and Will's like, "You can't buy a gun, man. They're more dangerous to have one than not have one." There's a whole gun. Um, gun there's the one where they get pulled in. over. That's quite clever. Uh, I don't remember about, that um, one. Sort of racial profiling, and um, uh, I don't remember Will Smith getting shot. Yeah, <laughs> they've done a gritty reboot of it. Haven't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh wait, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. boy. And it really—it's it, like I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, that's a really funny joke that we made. It's not a real thing, but yeah, it's like a—it's proper, proper gritty drama. Is Will Smith in it? Uh, no, 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 no. I so, don't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be watching it. It is. Because it's not a comedy, it's a, it's I would, a serious piece. I would why? really why like would it if not a comedy, keep it keep it as a, a serious piece if you want and bring back Will Smith, but cast him as Uncle Phil. That would be lovely. Because now he's at that age. Yeah, yeah. That would have been great. Be a father figure. Yeah. Go around slapping people. Yeah. <laughs> why is Will Smith having that fight now, yeah. couldn't he? He's good at slapping. Yeah. Throw jazzy jazz out the door. Yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, just for pedantry, Jazzy Jeff. Jazzy saying. Jeff. Oh, I said Jazzy Jazz. That's not a person. <laughs> uh, we're, we're coming close to our time, aren't we? Yeah. What? How long have we been recording for? Forty-eight. Okay. Cool. 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 So, uh, I'm actually quite. Pre- I really like how this episode has gone because I did wonder if you and I would just bicker the whole time and ask uh, Joe for. Uh, to mediate. To mediate <laughs> our relationship. Oh, well, if we're going to do that, Amplify <laughs> sent me a message saying the reason you're late <laughs> is because it's your fault. Um, and I'd like to give you a right reply to that. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I was getting... You know, like, uh, as we talked about before, I have to leave next week for a thing, so I'm trying to get as much done this week as possible. Hmm. So uh, I spent the morning editing... And then we're, we were coming here. And, uh, you know, I, I did that neurodivergent thing of, like, I have, I have a list of stuff I have to do and I have to check it off. And yet we need to start this at 1 o'clock because you and I are going to do pickups in between. And we need to do the pickups because afterwards I have to go back and then I have to send these emails and all this. And I did get a little snappy and a little overwhelmed. Uh, Tom says that sometimes he feels like he's in a relationship with me and my lists. <laughs> <laughs> it is. There's, there's me, you, and your schedule, and I think, uh, I think the schedule is your favorite. That's not true. The schedule, <laughs> the schedule is is, is a close number two. No, it, it, it's my <laughs> shackles. <laughs> it's my shackles. I live in fear of not getting anything done, so I make lists, and then I don't do anything, and then I have a nervous breakdown because I haven't got enough done. <laughs> we met. You made it here. I made it here. We made it here. We did it. It came together. Um, Tom, do you have a neurodivergent moment for us? I do. So, my (laughs) neurodivergent moment is that I didn't realise I was neurodivergent for 34 years. And I thought my experience was the same as everyone else's. I was just crap at it. That is, uh, I think, a common experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, but now, what have you realised now? What's the... Um, that felt like I was really prompting to say schmaltzy and I apologise for that uh, so it's a diagnosis of but at the same yeah. time he was, like, I was yeah. now say something this uplifting uplifting um, now you've realised what have I realised it's just it's kind of I don't think there's like any like profound realisation it's just kind of like you have like a new starting point of like ongoing discovery and like there's a period of just going completely insane and having a breakdown and reprocessing your life up until that point. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, it just it gives you a new perspective um, and you're sort of the understanding that not everyone's experience is the same as you is quite profound. And that, I mean, because that's when, one of the reasons I left Sony is I just got completely burnt out because I couldn't... I was kind of looking around me and seeing that, like, it just seemed so easy for everyone to go to an office every day. Mm. And it was... I was just burnt out to the point where I thought I was going to have a heart attack or something. So it's sort of... And then you sort of feel kind of deficient. So it's good understanding why. That is a real moment where you go, people are... So how yeah, is this so people, easy for you the, just the, to Most go people to work? do operate in a, in a different way. I mm. think particularly like for us working in comedy where there's lots of neurodivergence, like when you go outside of your comedy bubble, you're like, you know, it's not when you meet people and they're like, oh, you shouldn't, shouldn't ever talk about politics, religion or money. Yeah. And I said, like, what, what do you talk, talk about? about you know what I mean, yeah. like where people have these like just really surface level conversations like, um, there's, yeah, there's so, there's so many aspects of the neurotypical world that we are navigating. Mm. Um, that was another realisation it's sort of the point of it and it's sort of like the reason of communicating so it's like neurodivergent people communicate to to find something out or to mm. tell something whereas the point of small talk is just bonding like it doesn't matter what you're talking about the point is that you're talking it's just massaging each other yeah it's just sort yeah. of like that kind of social bonding it's like you know, you're just you're having a shared experience, and it doesn't matter. You can talk about the most boring and ain't shit that no one cares about, but that's not the point because the mm. point is you're talking to someone. It's like the monkey's picking the fleas out. Yeah, I don't want to say, but it's that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's exactly that, and that's kind of that's why it's again with like networking that's lost on you if you're neurodivergent because you're like this is boring and stupid. I don't care what you're saying. Mm. Let's talk about something interesting. Whereas yeah. it's sort of so then it's yeah it's that you know finding other people who, and I think you know in film's quite nice because there is quite a lot of neurodivergent people in film you know, diagnosed and undiagnosed and it's kind of it, you can find your own your tribe in there that's good to hear that's beautiful uh, Tom where can people find you and you have several films out right now and festivals uh, I am on Instagram as Tom Watts D-O-P and I have well a film that was in London Film Festival last weekend mm, you missed um, it yeah, other films there: Pyramid of Disunion, Typical, and Ruth. Ruth. Ruth's a good film, and also The Letters coming out soon, and Misery Loves Company. Yeah. So keep an eye out, and uh, thank you so much for coming to do the podcast with us, Tom. Thanks thank for you having for replying to the email. Yeah. <laughs> I am on Instagram as Tom Watts Dop, and I have film that was in London Film Festival last weekend. Mm, you missed um, it. Yeah, other films there. Pyramid of Disunion, Typical, and... Ruth. Ruth. Ruth's a good film. And also The Letters coming out soon, and Misery Loves Company. Yeah. So keep an eye out, and uh, thank you so much for coming to do the podcast with us, Tom. Thanks thank for you having for me. That was Tom Watts. That was Tom Watts, who we keep referring to as my boyfriend, which may I say, <laughs> if I was on his podcast and everyone just referred to me as Tom's girlfriend, I... That would I, be sexism. That would be sexism. <laughs> but It's a two-tier uh, system. Yeah. Yeah. Tom's actually non-binary, but he does use he, him pronouns. Uh, so it's not sexism. <laughs> it's, it would be sexism if, uh, yeah, if it was said about you. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I don't make the rules. <laughs> uh, it's time for neurodivergent moments. Uh, yeah, let's do them. Should we do listener first or should we do personal ones first? I have a personal one. This is a neurodivergent realisation. Okay. Um, which is, is, I think, slightly embarrassing on my part. Um, when I was 18, I watched in a news agents. Um, and I remember one time, we didn't sell a lot of it, but one man came into the newsagents and he bought pornography. And when he took it to the counter, he said, it's, it's for a friend. And the other week, I realised it wasn't for his friend. <laughs> he was taking that home for himself. Oh, my God. But my whole, since then, I've thought, what a weird man buying porn for his, for his friend. 
as a little present that they could read a razzle together. <laughs> he was buying it for himself. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> that's I my like realization that this week. Twenty years later. You oh were in God. a news station <laughs> and you're like, no one buys porn for a friend. <laughs> I, th- I always thought it was really weird that he was buying that for his friend. <laughs> what a weird present. But, um, so, yeah, that's my realization. Do you have a, a neurodivergent moment? Yeah, uh, in the theme that my boyfriend uh, was on the podcast, I have a neurodivergent domestic dispute that uh, Joe... Oh God. I, Can I, I be want... like the, the Judge, um, Judge Judy? Absolutely. I want you to settle this for us. So Tom and I went for a night away to go stay with his sisters, Uh, Mm. sister, excuse me. When we were packing, Tom shouted to me, hey, did you pack your toothbrush? I said, yes. We get to his sisters. I open my suitcase. My toothbrush isn't there. And I was like, I thought I packed my toothbrush. And Tom goes, well, I was, that's why I asked you because your toothbrush travel case was in the bathroom. And I was like, if my tooth, why didn't you tell me my case was in the bathroom? And he was like, you said you packed your toothbrush. And I was like, well, obviously I put my toothbrush in the case and then put the case down and didn't put it in. The- and he was like, I was like, why didn't you follow up? And he was like, cause mm-hmm. I asked if you packed your toothbrush and you said, yes, I did not ask about your case and neither did you. <laughs> I was like, that's not, you should have followed up. You should, you saw, I was like, you saw my toothbrush was in the bathroom. And he goes, no, I saw your case was in the bathroom. Uh, Do you know what? Now that you're presenting it to me, I can see why this was frustrating for you. But I have been the Tom on so many occasions (laughs) (laughs) that I I have to, I have to side with my own people. Um, But I I can see now that it's, now I see it from the outside, that would be annoying, wouldn't it? You know Um, what? I know I know you said my people referring to Tom also being autistic but uh I'm I'm going to chalk this up to sexism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I yeah I I I'm sure that the Dana could take your side so if she was here we we we'd have a stalemate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and because you know what Danica and I are right. Also I mean I don't I don't draw this out but whose job is it to pack your case? It's I not know. It's it's, it's not my, my Tom's job. It's it's my job. I totally admit it's my job. But if I asked Tom if he packed his toothbrush and he said yes, I would be like, "Your case is still here." Tom wouldn't I be would... so careless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine. Oh, fine. All right. Well, now that that's settled, and you and Tom are both wrong, let's go to listener neurodivergent <laughs> moments. Um, I have one from uh, Joanna. This is a this is a double one. They're both short and and nice. Um, Joanna says I posted a I posted pics of an event on my Insta stories. A friend asked where that was, so I sent him the GPS coordinates. He just wanted to know the name of the place. Uh, Follow up one. My flatmate had a guest over, and she asked me where I work. I replied upstairs. Uh, she looked at me. <laughs> Uh, because she wants to know what company do I work for. I'm completely on Joanna's side. She said, where do you work? She works upstairs. Correct answer. <laughs> do you I, have a list of one? I bet Joanna would let her partner leave their toothbrush behind. Yes. <laughs> she seems the type. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have one here. There's no name attached to it. Um, it is simply... I was flirting with a man I knew and liked, and he asked me if my boots were Vivian Westwood. I replied, no, they are mine, and he walked away. <laughs> they belong to me. Wonderful. I love that. No, they're mine. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening. This is the end of this season, so we're going to take a bit of a break. We will still be posting stuff on Patreon, although I'm saying that and Joe and I haven't discussed what's going on Patreon during the break, but just to make sure that your dollars are going to good use, we should put mm. up a book club or something. Yes, yeah, we'll get something done. Yeah, we will get for sure. Yeah. And there'll be Tom Extras next week on the Patreon too. Yeah, there'll be Tom Extras, of course. And if I can just take a moment to plug something that I am doing, I am doing a one-off show in Streatham. 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 I still don't East know London. how to say. This is Streatham, East, East London. London. 
Yeah, mm. East London. On February 7th with Laura Lex, we'll each be doing an hour. And uh, I'd love for you guys to come. So it's at Stretton, uh, Stretton Space Project. I don't know how to say it. Stretton, Stretton Space Project. And uh, please come and tell me how to say Stretton. I obviously love your work and I love Laura Lex as well. She's fantastic. That's a great lineup. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And um, yeah, and Joe, you're on tour. I'm on tour all of March. So I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you already know that. But it's going to be all over the UK. Please come, especially in Liverpool. Yeah. Still looking for those Liverpool people. <laughs> bring bring your friends to Liverpool, please. Awesome. Um, yes. We'll see you in a few months or on the Patreon yeah. sooner. Yeah. All bye. right. Bye, guys.